Amen. Uh, important days in our calendar and our personal lives are typically marked by special occasions. Uh, we think of special occasions like birthdays or wedding anniversaries and holidays, and they serve as important events that will mark that day. So, give an example, uh, August 24th, that might not mean anything to you, but for me, August 24th is the birthday of my best friend, Jake. Uh, you might even, around uh, different times, will say phrases like, hey, you know, if your kids are goofing off or something, you say, hey, this is a special time. This is important. This day is important, or this moment is important. Why? Because the day is important, whether it be a birthday. Uh, hopefully, you would remember your wedding anniversary. That is an important day also. Uh, another example would be, for me, November 14th might not mean anything to any of you, but for me, that is an important day. That is the day of my father's passing away. So I remember that, and that is a special or important day in my life, but November 14th for you all might just not mean anything. And, and each of you have days like that and events like that, uh, moments that mark important days. I want to give you uh, another one. This is an actual true story that I wanted to share. Uh, so the this isn't just a day, but this is kind of a week. So the last week in the month of June might not mean anything to any of you. Uh, but for me, for six years, I would work as the videographer at a, a Southern Baptist youth camp called Seneca Lake. And me and my other best friend, Dusty, uh, would kind of work there. And then we would play games and interact with the campers and the staff. And it was a fun time. And during the last week of June, we decided, hey, so if you haven't met my buddy before, he is uh, six foot nine, six foot ten. Like, he's tall. He is a tall person. And I've got to, like, do that when I'm talking to him. Uh, but we decided one year uh, when the campers were going to be walking up this hill at night. So at night they would have a service. They would go down and play evening gym, uh, like dodgeball and things. And they would walk back up this hill. We decided to dress up my six foot whatever best friend in a ghillie suit. And we told him, hey, when the campers are coming up the hill, there's this one light. There's only one light on this entire hill. When they're coming up, I want you to walk like you're Bigfoot. And just walk from the tree line to the next tree line. And so he's got that long stride. And so the campers are coming. I'm in the woods. A bunch of the staff, all of the staff are in the woods. And I'm like, all right, they're coming. Go get them. And then he just, and then he would just turn and look. And then he would kind of like run away. And oh my goodness, the screams, the crying. <laughs> it was, I'm going to be honest. I don't feel sorry about it. It was hilarious. Uh, oh, my goodness. It was so, so funny. We had one kid. This is a true story. One kid was like, I just said a bad word. I don't know what it means, but it just felt so wrong. And then he went to the pastor to start asking for like forgiveness. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I was like, we're going to get in so much trouble. And we did, but it was worth it. And so for me, the last week of June always is going to mark. I will never forget when we did that. Uh, and so we dressed him up in the ghillie suit. We had to end up selling it because they wouldn't let us use it again. Can't imagine why. But that is an important day, my point, that will be forever marked by a special occasion where we just got to mess with all of these campers by pretending Bigfoot was in the woods. And again, in the same manner, looking at our scripture reading and in our Christmas hymn, uh, we see another special event or another uh, day that is marked by a special event, I should say, and it is the birth of Christ. O holy night sings about the birth of Jesus. 
And while we all know that Jesus wasn't specifically born on December 25th, we know that, uh, we take this day, we take this time to remember that and to sing about it and to praise him for his birth. But we still ask this question, though, why was that night so holy? Why was the night holy that we would sing about it? We know it's an important day. Christmas will forever be marked, or December 25th will forever be marked by the birth of of Jesus and the celebration of it, but what made that night specifically so holy? And when you think about it as well, why is Christianity the only religion that will celebrate the coming of their deity or the coming of their God? If you examine the old false religions and the old mythologies, the Greeks, the Egyptian gods, and the Romans, and the Norse gods, and their mythologies all came down to earth and to mingle with Humanity, but none of those ever get celebrated and ever get sung about and praised, and even in those cultures and those religions. So, why is Christianity different? Why do we take such a big deal in the birth of our God and the birth of our uh, God coming down in this manger? Why are we so unique or why are we so different? What made that night special, so special that it gets dubbed as holy or set apart? Why is this so set apart from everything else? And there are many reasons as to why we could spend all day going over them. And so for the next seven hours, I want to spend with you going over a 300-point sermon on this. So uh, call your friends and family. You're going to be a little late to that food. I'm kidding. Keith said I could only do three points, so I'm going to do three points. No. So, but we could just simply say it's holy and that night is holy because God himself came and that holiness permeated the area, permeated the stables and the manger. We see that in the Old Testament. What did God say to Moses? Take off your shoes. Why? Because you're on holy ground. The presence of God dwelt there. So we could just easily wrap this up and go, hey, you know, it was holy because God, the God man was in the manger and that was holy. Let's pray, take communion, and go home. But you guys know better that I'm not going to let us go that early. And so we want to look, I want to look at three reasons specifically why it was so holy. So why was it such a big deal that we sing about the birth of Jesus? Why was it a big deal that he came? Because again, God had come down to earth many times in the Old Testament. He came down in smoke and fire and in the burning bush and many other instances So what was so special about this holy night? And our first main point is this. That night was holy because the Savior had come. We see this in verse 1 of our hymn. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Why was that night so set apart? It's because the Savior, and our, the Savior and the bringer of our redemption had come to earth to walk among us. Just as the hymn says, too long had our world been covered in sin and too long had humanity yearned for a Savior. We yearned and begged for the Son of Man to come. Throughout the centuries, and as we peruse the pages of the Old Testament, the people of God had been imperfectly following the law, striving after righteousness, falling short, and were left asking, there's got to be a better way than this. 
Like there's just got to be a better way than this. I can't measure up to this standard. There's got to be something out there that will help. And again, the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament cries out with longing for the birth of Jesus Christ, for the birth of the Messiah, for the birth of the Savior. I pulled just a couple of these promises, but the people of God, their whole lives, generations come and generations go, had been hearing promises from God such as these. We see Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's important. We see Micah 5, 2, what we just heard this morning. But you, O Bethlehem, Jacob said this way better than me. Ephrathath. Nope. Moving on. Cutting that out of the audio. O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And then we go way back to the book of Numbers. We see another promise. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So generation comes, generation goes. People are longing for this Savior, longing for this Emmanuel, where God will dwell amongst us, where God will be with us. And if we read the New Testament too, we see we don't just need a savior. Humanity doesn't just want a savior, but the earth and creation as a whole is crying out for the need of a savior. Paul writes to us in Romans 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I don't know about you guys. You might not know this about me. I've never given birth to a child. Now, I know that comes as a surprise. So I don't know how painful that is. But the fact that Paul will use that language to describe creation longing and yearning for its Savior, we need a savior because sin permeates and seeps into every single thing in this world. It's painfully obvious to us, friends, when we read scripture and when we examine our own hearts, we need and needed a savior. We needed to be saved from sin. And let's be honest here, we needed to be saved from ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. No one leads me into sin more than I lead myself into sin. There's no friend of mine back there kind of whispering, telling me to do things. It's always my own heart and my own sin nature. So I needed a savior. You need and needed a savior. And so why was that night so holy? Because the long-awaited day had finally come. The Savior had entered into the world. The time had come. Satan began to sweat a little bit. He was starting to get a little nervous because Jesus had come. He's got 30 years, 33 years of salvation he's bringing to his people. He's going to teach, and he is going to free us from sin. And so we ask us, how could this not be a holy day? How could this not be a holy night? 
How could this not be a holy moment? How could this scene not be set apart from the history of the world? Our Savior had finally come, and we have salvation from sin. I don't know about you. I'm going to sing about that every single time I think about it. And number two, why was that night so holy? Well, that night was holy because the sympathetic king had also come. So beyond just being our savior, we see Jesus being sympathetic and being a king. We get this in our second verse of O Holy Night. In all our trials born to be our friend, he knows our need. To our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. Let me ask you this. Have you ever met someone who treated others like they were just beneath them? Like this person got his high horse and everybody else is beneath them. Maybe you've had a boss or you've had a supervisor that kind of treated you like a burden or a nuisance. I know when I was working in Ohio at one of my old jobs, I used to hate going to my supervisor for help and for questions because they would just treat me like an inconvenience. Like, yes, they're there to help me. Yes, they've said, I'm here to help. You have questions, come find me. But they just were bothered the whole time that I had the audacity to knock on their office when they told me to knock on their office if I had help. And maybe we know people like this that will raise their nose to us, that just think they're, as my mom would say, all that in a ham sandwich, okay? Maybe you've had someone like that in your life. Maybe you've known, maybe we have been like this at our times, I think in our human relationships, we'll see those instances and people and we'll translate that to our relationship with Jesus. Like, yes, Jesus is there. He's ready to offer us forgiveness and grace, but his nose is raised to us. He cringes every time we beg for mercy and forgiveness. And so I don't want to bother Jesus unless I absolutely have to. But friends, that could not be further from the truth. One of the reasons the night of Jesus' birth was so holy and so set apart was because he was coming as a king as well, but not a king who is annoyed with his people or a king who thinks himself too important to mingle with sinners. Now, the opposite is the case. Jesus was born and was coming as a king who knows what it was like to be one of us. Amongst many other things, the book of Hebrews is written to show us that Jesus deeply loves us and is sympathetic towards our under, and understands what we're going through. So we're not alone in our, in our frustrations and nuisances and hardships. Jesus knows what it is like. In the context of Hebrews, Jesus is described specifically as a priest and a sympathetic high priest. But we know elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus is also a king, ruling and reigning. And so I want to read these verses from Hebrews where Jesus is described as being sympathetic. Hebrews chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And if we go back two more chapters, we see in Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." So we got to understand this. Jesus understands 
our weaknesses and he understands our trials and our tribulations and because he also had them, but he overcame them. He didn't fall into the temptations. He did not give up. He was tempted and tried, but persevered and pushed through all of those. And so because he has done that, he offers the exact same help that we have been crying out for. He's sympathetic. He knows what it's like. Our King Jesus, when he was born, he lived the perfect life. He would go on living, making a beeline to wherever the sinners were, wherever the brokenhearted were. He got his hands dirty, we could say. He went to the places where no supposed holy man should ever go, mingling with and going into the homes of people who would kind of make you go, you sure about that? You're going to go to that person's house? Friends, our king wants to be near to you. He wants to be near to us. He knows your pain and he knows your trials. He is not far removed from his people, ruling from afar and frustrated when we have the audacity to come to him for repentance and for forgiveness and for mercies. He is not far removed from us. So every single time I think about the birth of Jesus, I cry out with thanksgiving and praise because the sympathetic king, someone who gets me, has come and has saved me. In the book Gentle and Lowly, I think Dane Ortland puts it best in this example. This is a longer quote, but I want you to hear this. A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to be healed on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care that is being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came in the first place. Now, how much more if the diseased are not strangers, but his own family? And so with us and so with Christ, he does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness or renewed pardon with stress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. That's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. So every single time we come before the Lord, like, I'm so sorry to bother. He's like, no, I came to do this. This is what I'm here to do. So where did we go wrong thinking Jesus is offended by our pleas for forgiveness? And don't get me wrong, I continuously fall into the same sins that I've fallen into since high school. And I say the same prayers, Lord, I hate my sin, but I'm still partaking in it. What is wrong with me? Help me. Save me. And he is not offended. He does not turn his back on those who cry out for forgiveness time and time again. Jesus asks you, friends, to come to him so that he can do what he came to do. Save us. 
So looking backwards towards his birth, how could that night of his birth not be holy? How could it not be set apart? How could it not be praiseworthy? Our long-awaited king had finally come, and he came joyfully, and he came willingly. And that is something I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate the birth of that king and the birth of that savior, because God could have easily decreed that Jesus come down and Jesus could have come down kicking and screaming or not wanting to do it in a sense like, all right, I'm here. Let's get this over with. But that was not his mentality. But he loved us deeply. And so, again, I am going to celebrate and sing about that holy night every chance I get. And our third point, why was that night holy? Well, the night was holy Because freedom was offered. We see in the third verse of O Holy Night, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. O praise his name forever. He came to offer us freedom. And so we celebrate that birth. We sing about that holy night because freedom was coming. Freedom was being offered. So there's a a saying out there. Maybe you've heard something similar to this, but temporary solutions will oftentimes become permanent problems. So you and I are sinners. And if Jesus had only come to teach us how to not sin by saying like, hey, don't do that. Smack saying, don't, don't, don't do that then that would have just been a temporary solution. That would have been like holy duct tape on the problem that wouldn't have tackled the heart and the root of my sin issues. No, rather Jesus came, he addressed the heart, he addressed the soul, the need for forgiveness, the need for a savior. And he came to us offering us that freedom, not some sort of duct tape, temporary fix because then I'm going to be right back tomorrow asking again, uh, like, hey, that didn't actually solve the problem. I actually am not forgiven. The Lord has to keep doing that again and again. No, he came to offer us once and for all freedom from sin and death and bondage to the sin. So when you and I come to Jesus, this is important again too, he's not saying like, hey, I can give you a few months at best, but the way you're living might be a couple weeks. But you just keep coming back every week or so, I can kind of like temporarily fix this problem. And maybe if you, if you die, we might get you on the good side. We might catch you on, on the good side of this. No, he's not saying that. Jesus came into the world, lived, died, resurrected to extend to you and I absolute and permanent freedom from sin and permanent freedom from, tempta- or from, from death. Yes, we will still be tempted but we have the ability to overcome those now. Hear the the beautiful words of Paul in Romans chapter six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Elsewhere, we'll see Paul write in Galatians, In Galatians chapter 5, the first part of verse 13, he just says, You were called into freedom, brothers. 
And a couple of verses back, he'll say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So what is all this getting at? Is that Jesus paid our sin debt. And he's given you and I freedom. We have redemption and salvation in Christ through his blood. And we no longer are bound and enslaved to sin. Yes, we will stumble. Yes, we will still sin. But we have hope in Christ that we can resist and come out of those temptations. For the unsaved person, all they can do is sin. They quite literally cannot help themselves because they are slaves to sin. It's in that very nature. And that's who we were. That was in our very nature at one time. And yet God saved us. God gave us freedom. So now there's hope. Now I don't have to go on living like this. The better way has come. Through Christ, those chains are gone and those prison doors are wide open, swinging wide open. We can walk out in freedom with Christ Jesus. And so when we reflect on that most holy of nights, the birth of the Savior, the birth of our sympathetic King, who's going to know what it's like to be one of us, who came, lived, and died to give us freedom. We praise Jesus. We praise him every single time we think of his birth. We praise him on that most holy night because he chose to dwell with the most lowly of us and to offer us freedom from sin and freedom from death. And again, church, how could we not praise that? How could we not have a little bit of a smile on our face when we think about the freedom offered in Christ? How can we not, how can we just not do anything? How can we just sit there silently and just, that's pretty cool. Like, no, like, I want to, I'm not going to do it. I want to jump up and down and dance a little bit. It's not who I am typically, but, you know, I'll do it if that's what Jesus wants me to do. And if I got to celebrate that way, I'll go a little Pentecostal. Don't worry. Not right now, but I'll go in that room a little bit and, you know, when everyone's looking. But I'm going to celebrate every single time I think about the birth of Jesus because the birth was already a miracle in of itself and already proof of who he was and who he said he was going to be. But man, there's 33 years that come after of also praiseworthy deeds that I will never be able to, to measure up to, measure up to even be in the presence of a person who do, or does those things. And I'm going to sing though, and I'm going to praise, I'm going to follow after that man. And so every single time, I think of that manger, and I think of that stable, and I think of the people that are gathered in there. Man, how could we not come to the conclusion, oh, holy night? So friends, I'm going to ask you, why do you celebrate the birth of Jesus? Why on Christmas Eve, we're here this morning, and hopefully you'll come back tonight. I'm watching. If you come back tonight, why do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Is it because you've just grown up celebrating it and so it's kind of lost the meaning, it's lost the significance? Like, well, this is just what we do as a family. We just, you know, we tack on Jesus at the end. Like, oh man, look at these, look at these presents, look at the Christmas tree, look at the food we're gonna eat. It's cool to have family. Well, I mean, but yeah, and of course we're here to celebrate Jesus, but man, look at all of those things. Or is we flip that. Like, oh man, this is the time we remember our Savior, our King, and the birth of of Jesus. 
All of this other stuff is great. The Christmas trees, the gifts, who doesn't want gifts? But man, I don't need any of that. This is what I've come for, the holy remembrance of that night. So why do we celebrate? Why do you personally celebrate Christmas Day, Christmas Eve? Why do you celebrate? Do you celebrate it because of what it meant to you and what it meant to me? That you and I no longer have to live in sin, but our sympathetic Savior King had come to be with people like you and with people like me. Man, I'm going to call that night holy till the day I die.